Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord as written in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 28 through 31. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. Faith in odd places. Several of us from Faith spent the first part of this past week downtown Indy for the Gospel Coalition Conference, meeting with about 7,000 of our most intimate friends. Uh, Faith-building, glorious singing led by Matt Boswell. Monday evening joined by a wonderful uh, orchestra that included Beverly Scott and Peter Vickery among them. It was almost heaven, uh, not West Virginia, but almost heaven, but even heaven will be better. And then the preaching of John Piper, Tim Keller, Ligon Duncan, H.B. Charles, Kevin DeYoung, Trip Lee, David Platt, D.A. Carson, plus seminars from 80 outstanding Christian leaders such as Tim Challies, Nancy Guthrie, Shy Lynn, Rebecca McLaughlin, Al Moeller, Russell Moore, Jackie Hill Perry, Paul Tripp, Kristen Wagner, Jen Wilkin, and others. It's an amazing lineup of people. Men and women of great faith. Continuing our study of Hebrews uh, 11, sometimes called the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith of the Old Testament, uh, heroes of faith, and so far we've reviewed what I would call the heavyweights of faith. Enoch, don't know much about him, but he walked with God. And the others we do know quite a bit more about, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Now, it's intimidating to read about these guys in this uh, passage, uh, because I know my faith is not like Noah in building an ark for probably a hundred years, trusting that God would bring water to a totally dry place. Or Abraham, who left for a a home not knowing where he was going, not having a map, but trusting that God would lead. Or Moses, who took on the most powerful leader and nation in the world, the Egyptians, and led his people out of slavery. And so, what about me? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Abraham or Moses. I'm not John Piper or Trip Lee or, or David Platt. I mean, I'm just a little guy. I mean, look at me. Oh, well, maybe not. But you know what I mean? A little guy in faith. I'm not one of the greats. My faith is weak. I'm more like the man who said to Jesus, uh, Lord, I believe, and that belief sounds a little tentative, and he knows that, and so he says, help my unbelief. My faith isn't strong. 
You feel that way as you look at these stories of the great heroes of the Bible or even maybe larger-than-life individuals in the world today? Well, when you look at the whole story, when you look at the whole story, each of these supposed giants of faith, you see that they, they weren't perfect. Noah got drunk and brought shame upon himself and his family, and Abraham was a liar when it was convenient, and Moses' failure of faith cost him entrance into the land of promise, and, and David, adultery and murder, and he's called a man after God's own heart. D.A. Carson said, wonder what he would have done if he hadn't been a man after God's own heart. And there's more to come. Gideon. Children's book only tells the good parts of Gideon. There's other parts. Jephthah. Samson. Just mostly bad parts. And yet they're listed with the people of faith. On one level, it's a pretty sorry bunch. Maybe Enoch and Daniel mentioned anonymously are the only ones of truly great faith. And so I was feeling little, and now I read about these people, and oh, I'm not careful, I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself. Well, I'm not that bad. And that'd be a terrible mistake, too. It's not to think less of myself or more of myself, but to stop being so obsessed with myself. It's not easy, is it? To think that I'm somehow special either way. Pride is on both sides of that. Because all in all, we aren't all that different. And we need to remember that it's not the greatness of our faith, your faith or my faith, but the greatness of our God in whom we place our faith. So I read the chapter again, and I noticed that None of these guys are called heroes. I mean, they're mentioned because they're significant, sure, but, but none of them are called heroes. They're, it, it doesn't say of any of them that their faith was great. So I think, what? Did I, did I miss that? That's what I've been calling it all these years. In fact, my very first sermon series in 1976, right out of seminary, was on Hebrews 11, and it was really on the narratives of the Old Testament that are brought up in Hebrews 11. Eighteen persons or vignettes in this chapter are introduced with by faith. It doesn't say by great faith. It just says by faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people, the walls, Rahab. Around 20 more vignettes or categories representing numerous uh, anonymous situations with a few people named. And they're covered with the language through faith. And then a summary statement in verse 39 that maybe comes the closest to calling faith maybe a little bit great, all these commended through their faith. So it's not the greatness of their faith or ours, it's the greatness and the mercy and the grace of God. But in spite of their flaws, on a certain level, this is an impressive bunch, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, a little intimidating. Uh, to be around them, and we have today more examples of faith that are more like us. So I'm encouraged to have this text assigned to me, 
and I'm calling this faith in odd places. Um, the middle of the Red Sea, the defeat of an ancient city, and the home of a prostitute. So we start with three faith events in the history of Israel in which the people as a whole had to trust God for deliverance, and those are all pictures of salvation. And then we'll close with a uh, faith story of an unlikely spiritual conversion of a Gentile prostitute who became part of the family of believers. Number one, faith expressed in the sacrifice of the lamb, the Passover. Verse 28, by faith he, the reference is Moses, you'll see in context, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now this is the last of four by faith items regarding Moses, but this one expands beyond Moses to the people. It wasn't just Moses who celebrated the Passover. Every household had to celebrate the Passover. Everyone had to participate on the night of the 10th plague on Egypt described in Exodus 11 and 12. Do you, do you know the story? Some of you know it pretty well. Some of you maybe have never read it. So I strongly urge you to become acquainted with the Old Testament, to read Genesis and Exodus, and then keep on reading and uh, reread it. But you'll get to know so it becomes more, more, more familiar to you. But here, here's a quick summary. Jacob and his family in Genesis went to Egypt in about 1800 B.C. because of a famine but they, were, they got settled there. They became a great nation there. They were enslaved there in Egypt and suffered there for 400 years. And Moses was called of God, a very unusual history of this man, to lead them out of slavery, the pressure being put on Pharaoh, the king, through a series of ten plagues, the last one being the angel of death called the destroyer in our passage, who passed through Egypt and killed the firstborn males of all the people and all the animals. And Israel was given the opportunity to be spared this destroyer, this angel of death, by slaughtering a lamb for each family, smearing the blood of the lamb on the top and sides of the doorpost with the promise that when the destroyer, the angel of death, comes through and sees the blood on the doorpost, He'll pass over that house. He won't go in and kill the firstborn. He'll pass over it. That's where the word Passover comes from. Uh, each family had to do this in faith of God's protection. And so this devastating plague that brought death to Egypt but salvation to Israel would finally convince Pharaoh to, lever, to, to let Israel go. So, whenever you hear about the Passover... And uh, more and more in our culture, uh, we're having the holidays of various religious groups acknowledged, and that's appropriate, to know what they are and when they are. And the Passover is somewhere around our Easter. Our Easter dates are kind of confusing how they developed, and, and so don't worry too much about that. We still acknowledge it every year and should every Sunday. Uh, but Passover is about that period of, uh, of time. And uh, whenever you think Passover, that's the story. When the angel of death passed over the houses in Egypt and the people were, were protected. It's the signature story of the Old Testament. 
celebrated annually. The story repeated over and over with the instructions for parents to pass it along to their children, the older generation to the new generation. And this is the picture of the gospel, the primary picture of the gospel in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ, the Passover lamb, who delivers us from sin and judgment by his sacrifice in our behalf. And this is not just deliverance from cruel slavery to man, as evil and wicked as that is, but deliverance from the cruelty of slavery to our own sin nature, deliverance from the ultimate judgment of God. So, by faith, Moses and the whole nation of Israel observed the Passover, believing God would keep his promise to protect them from death and deliver them from slavery and by faith we look to Jesus our Passover who died for us to deliver us from slavery to sin and to give us eternal life uh, just as we remembered in communion today uh, so Paul writes to the Corinthian church and to us for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed and just as Israel had to act in faith putting blood on the door so we in the confidence that Christ is our sacrifice by his blood it's by faith in him that we are saved so faith expressed in the sacrifice of the lamb the Passover number two faith expressed in the midst of fear the Red Sea Look at verse 29. In the Old Testament narrative, this immediately follows the Passover. Moses led Israel out of Egypt across the desert and uh, traveled probably on foot, most, mostly on foot. They had animals with them, but many of the people would have to travel on foot. Uh, perhaps 75 to 100 miles. We don't know exactly where they were along the Nile River, but uh, the shortest would be around 75 miles. It could have been longer arriving on the shores of the Red Sea, needing to travel around the Red Sea. They didn't have a ship. And the story is detailed in Exodus 14, of which we have a one-verse summary of 31 verses. So it's boiled down pretty skimpy for us. We might need some more context to understand this reference, but just understand that the Hebrews who received this letter or missive, the letter was addressed to people who knew their scriptures well. This is a very basic principle. Whenever you see a, a reference in the New Testament to the Old Testament, know that for those original readers, it would have opened up the whole story that they knew intimately well. Now, that's not necessarily true with all of us. You may not have the same advantage, so you need to go back and read Genesis and Exodus and on through. I'm going to keep telling you that. Read it. It's important. Let's turn to Exodus 14, page 66, if you're using the Bible provided. Otherwise, I think you can find your way around your iPhone or your regular Bible. Uh, let me again summarize the story, and then I want you to see a couple of things in the text. After Israel left Egypt, uh, Pharaoh the king changed his mind again. 
and that will mean something to you if you know how often he changed his mind after the plague. Yeah, you can go, no, you can't. Yeah, you can go, no, you can't. He realized his labor force was escaping. The economy would collapse. He'd have to cancel his plans to make Egypt great again. That's not going to work. So he led his army with horses and chariots to chase after Israel to bring them back, catching up with them just as they got to the Red Sea, Israel trapped between the sea and the Egyptian army. Now, they've had this great deliverance, but suddenly panic and fear sets in. Look at uh, verse 10, verse 11. They unload on Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Did they say that? They say, let us go, let us free. They switched their stories so, so fast. It would be better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so we get the first taste of the complaining that poor Moses would deal with for the next 40 years. Now, my first thought is that we're not going to get an example of faith from this bunch. It's not going to happen. But we do. Moses came back with faith-building words, Exodus 14, verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. You don't have to do anything. It's salvation by grace. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to go forward. There's a sea there. Tell the people to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it, unless you've read the whole story, unless you know the whole context. On dry ground, the waters, picture this now, there's all kinds of ways to try to explain this story and just take the miracle out of it. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. The waters being a wall to them on the right and on the left. What would you think if you saw a body of water in front of you suddenly open up a hallway through the, through the lake, through the sea, Walls of water on each side. Would you be ready to walk in and trust that the walls of water would not collapse? <laughs> I'd, I'd give it some second thought. Moses says, tell the people to go forward. I'm, why, why, why not? I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's safe. How do we know the walls are going to stay in place? Would you be ready to just walk in? There, there's a debate about the actual location of the Red Sea crossing. The Red Sea is a 
large body of water, about 1,400 miles long, about 220 miles wide. It's an extension of the Indian Ocean. And uh, it has two major arms, one to the northwest called the Gulf of Suez and one to the north called the Gulf of Aqaba. That right at that northern tip is the intersection of Egypt, Israel, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia today. Had the privilege of going through that area about 11 years ago. Uh, the Gulf of Suez, 20 miles wide, an average depth of 130 feet, is the most likely place of Israel's crossing. That might have been a shallower place because, I mean, depth of a lake varies all over the lake from the edge to out in the middle of it and how close you are to one end to the other. But um, it, it may have been a shallower section than 130 feet. I, I don't know. But, but at best, it seems, they walk down the seabed so that water would be towering over them, I would think, at least several stories high, miraculously held back by God. You don't explain that with any so-called natural phenomenon. And I think I'd be looking back at the Egyptian army and pretty, pretty terrified, and then I'd, I'd turn around and look at that path through the, the sea, and I might be more terrified. And so, indeed, this is an act of faith on the part of the people to go forward, even in great fear. You know, uh, faith and its partner, courage, It's not the absence of fear that makes you brave or courageous. If someone says, I'm not afraid of anything or anyone, that person is not courageous. That person's a fool. Do not be afraid of any circumstance that might come your way. <laughs> I have a three-year-old granddaughter, Riley May, who uh, will give her a break. She's only three, but, but, but she's in that category. I mean, she climbs on anything without any sense of the consequences of falling off. It's a constant rescue operation with that girl. If there's no fear, there's nothing courageous about it. It's moving forward to do the right thing when you're terrified that takes courage. Psalm 56, David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, as you take that step of faith, you may gain an easing of your fear and courage as you see God sustain you in it. Now, again, where do you get the faith? Do you conjure it up from deep within your soul? No, it's not there. <laughs> you can look inside all day. You won't find it. That's a great problem in our culture today. We're trying to find it within us. It's not there. Stop looking. What does Paul say? For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not from within you. It's the gift of God. And even the faith by which you access the grace of God in salvation is God's gift. Faith is a gift, and certainly the faith that it takes to face life each day is God's gift. It was God's gift of faith to Israel as a people that they celebrated the Passover, that they walked through the Red Sea. And certainly the faith that it takes to 
face life each day as is God's gift, just as the Passover is a foretaste of the sacrifice of Christ for our sins, so deliverance through the Red Sea is a picture of God's salvation in Christ that Paul references in 1 Corinthians 10, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. There's another image from the same uh, context. And all passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So faith is expressed in the midst of fear, the Red Sea crossing. Number three, faith expressed through obedience. The walls of Jericho. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Now, what's that about? You know the story? Some of you do, some of you don't. Read Joshua. Turn to Joshua chapter 6, uh, page 214. It um, tells the story. You'll need to take some time after this to, to get the larger context, but it tells of the first victory of Israel. After they crossed the Jordan River from east to west, from modern-day Jordan to modern-day Israel, and this took place 3,400 years ago. The Amorite city of Jericho, just the northern tip of the Dead Sea, is reported to be the oldest known walled city going back to 6,800 B.C. Now, I don't know how they come up with those dates. That's not my expertise and I'm not sure that uh, we know all that we think we know about this, but, but we know it was one of many walled city-states in the land promised to Abraham and his descendants. It's identified as an evil city under divine judgment that, that's about to be destroyed. And as an example of faith in odd places, God told Joshua to have the army of Israel march around the city once a day for six days, have the priests with ram's horn trumpets out in front. And on the seventh day, you march around the city seven times in one day. And then the priests with the ram's horn trumpets are to blast them and the people are to shout. And that's all they're to do. The walls came a-tumbling down. A great song. wish we had time to sing it. We don't today. The city collapsed. Why did God do it that way? I don't know. Don't ask me. But sometimes, it's not for us to understand, but simply to obey, to walk in faith and trust that God knows what he's doing. 18th century England, William Cooper, good friend of John Newton of Amazing Grace fame, he wrote these words. They're in our hymn book. Um, God moves in mysterious way, his wonders, wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. 
Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Both these guys could write. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Escaping from Egypt, walking through the sea, marching around Jericho, when faith is in odd places, trust that God knows what he's doing. Finally, we come back to another person of faith. We've had the three events, now another person of faith. And perhaps the most remarkable person of all the 16 names highlighted in this chapter, number four, faith expressed in an unlikely convert, Rahab, the prostitute. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So it's really simple. Just say, hello, spies, good to see you. And that saved her. Nah, it's a little more complex than that. Remember our rule, this, this reference brought the whole context up for them. So we have to go back and find the context. He assumes the readers know the story and the details of it. Turn to Joshua 2, page 210. Joshua sent two spies into Jericho who came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And you're saying, why did they go to the house of a prostitute? It was probably an inn, a bed and breakfast, a hotel of sorts, uh, which doubled as a place of prostitution. I guess that makes sense that travelers passing through are more likely to be customers. But that was Rahab's reputation. We're not going to whitewash it. The two men were found out to be spies. She protected them, hid them on the roof amidst her flax crop, and uh, reported when questions were asked, because they were outed by someone, uh, oh, see, well, they left. Uh, I didn't have anything for them, and, and they left. But they were on the roof. She negotiated a way to help them. And look at verse 8 and following, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, and I want you to look at what she says. This is is amazing. Verse 9, I know that the Lord, and she uses Yahweh, the personal name for God here, the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That was 40 years before. God's reputation is remembered. How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did more recently to the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. So God's reputation 40 years ago and God's reputation perhaps a few weeks or months ago, she's convinced, and it says she feared the Lord, verse 11. In fact, she says of the community, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there's no spirit left in any man because of you, 
For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's the testimony of a pagan prostitute. That's pretty impressive. So she strikes a deal. I'll protect your identity, get you safely from here to from here, out of here, back to where you came from in exchange for my safety and the safety of my family. And so she helped them escape. And then when the walls did fall in God's act, uh, she safely escapes with her family when everyone else dies. And, listen carefully, she promptly disappears from the pages of Scripture. You don't see her again. She's gone until you get to the New Testament. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, page 959. The New Testament begins with the genealogy of Jesus. I once showed this passage to a Jewish bus driver in Jerusalem with a Hebrew New Testament. I said, I want to just introduce you to, to uh, this important book, and I, I'd like you to read the first, the first few verses. Is that where you'd start with someone and trying to witness to them? Show them a genealogy? Well, you've got to know who you're talking to. He started reading, and he brightened up, and he smiled, and he was hooked. Now, I don't know where it went. I, I hope he kept reading and, and got the gospel and, 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 is, and is a brother in Christ. I don't, I don't have that information. But uh, when Jesus is introduced, the first thing to be established is the link to the Old Testament. The Old Testament matters, in spite of what some are saying. So Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I'm kind of squeezing this, uh, cutting out just a little bit just to, to get it through it. But Abraham was the father of Isaac, then the father of Jacob, the father of Judah, the father of Perez by Tamar. Oh, there's another scandalous story in God's grace through odd situations. The father of Hezron, the father of Ram, the father of Amminadab, the father of Nashon, the father of Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. This is amazing. She was brought into the family of believers. Oh, by the way, it goes on, the father of Obed by Ruth. Another unacceptable person because she's a Moabite. No Moabite will ever be accepted. Oh, but you missed the overarching theme that someone will be accepted from every people group. There's hope for all. The father of Jesse, the father of David, the king. What is he saying here? This Jericho prostitute is a great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandmother of Jesus. James 2.25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. This is evidence of her salvation. It's not saying that her actual salvation is by what she did. But the, what she did is evidence of the work of God in her life when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So it's more than saying hello, buddies, like the Hebrews text might leave you if you don't know the story. Hebrews eleven thirty one by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because this friendly welcome, and now you know the story behind the friendly welcome. I mentioned the Gospel Coalition Conference this week at the Convention Center, the 
conference theme was conversations with Jesus. And the message that moved me the most was last Monday evening, after that wonderful time of singing with the orchestra. Um, It was about Jesus' conversation with the Syrophoenician woman found in Mark 7 and and Matthew 15, when he said these shockingly uh, rude words, it seems, to a woman in rejecting her plea for help with her demonized daughter. Jesus actually said it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What happened to sweet Jesus, who's kind and gentle and caring? (laughs) That just doesn't seem like that's Jesus. He was reflecting, not his own heart, which comes through powerfully later. He was reflecting the Jewish attitude toward the Gentiles, the attitude that his disciples assumed. And is now teaching the disciples how wrong it is. He made them hear their own hearts. The woman who's just been insulted and called a dog, she she could see what was happening. She sensed that Jesus was not rejecting her completely, but was actually giving her an opening. The fact that he was even willing to talk with her was a big deal. And so she responded, very savvy, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It's the only thing I miss about not having a dog in my house. Kind of nice to have help cleaning the kitchen floor. It's the only reason I can think. Sorry, I've offended all the dog lovers now. I may leave that out next service. My granddaughters will be here. That'll never work. Back to the text. Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Ligon Duncan was preaching this sermon Monday night, and he noted that the only time, I had to check it out pretty carefully, I wasn't sure I believed him, the only time Jesus notes exceptional faith is in regard to Gentiles. There's other times he says, your faith has saved you, your faith has saved you, you're, you're, you're reaching out to me, and faith has, has brought you this, this healing, this salvation uh, that, that you were desiring, but, but, but with with his disciples, he, he's, oh, you have little faith. Three times he says that to them, oh, you have little faith. But to this Gentile Syrophoenician woman from Jezebel country, by the way, he says, great is your faith. And to the Gentile centurion who asked Jesus to heal his sick servant, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west, that is, Gentiles, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom of heaven. Peter wouldn't even sit down with a Christian Gentile. And now he's saying people from all over the place are going to come and sit down with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. 
even in the escape from Egypt, even in the conquering of the land, God's purpose revealed to Abraham from the beginning is revealed this time in regard to a Jericho prostitute. The promise given to Abraham, in you, Abraham, will all the families of the earth be blessed, even to reaching a prostitute from Jericho. This is the good news of God's grace for all peoples, all ethnicities, all peoples of the world, faith in odd places. Whoever you are, there's a place for you in Jesus. There's no ethnicity, no background that's excluded. But you must come to him in faith. You must repent and believe and embrace Christ. And then... I just close with this question to all of us. Are you ambassador of Jesus Christ that you are? There's hundreds, a couple hundred in this, in this room right now, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Are you making that glorious truth known? Let's pray. Oh God, our sins, they are many. the great people of faith of the past, the unbelieving people, prostitute, Syrophoenician pagan, Roman centurion, all of us, our sins, they are many. Your mercy is more through Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen.